Welcome to episode three of Back to the Pictures, the movie review podcast by three university friends taking you on an adventure through time and space. And that is not to be confused with the popular Einstein theory. Rather, we're just discussing an era of our lives where we had an abundance of time and space. The three of us lived, studied and raved together as Manchester students from 2005 to 2009. And when we couldn't be found on campus or at legendary Manchester venues such as M2, Font Bar, Subspace and Popos, we could be found at home watching the shit out of a ton of movies. Over a decade later, we have decided to regroup and rewatch many of the films we viewed together during those uni days and see what makes them tick now that we are all existential and cynical in our 30s. So follow our journey as each week we resurrect, review and reconsider motion pictures, movies, flicks, films and of course pictures from a simpler time. I am one of your hosts, Ben well, then you're packed already, Rose. I'm Anton Aaron A. Aronson Ogundimu. And I'm Ian. I think you got some video, bro. What did he say? I think you got some video, bro. Yes, I suppose. <laughs> All our reviewed movies are rated U. This stands for University Standard. And seeing as students generally have lower standards than most other classes of people, viewer discretion is advised. So, tell me, Dr. Green, where are we going this time? Year is 2007, and the movie is Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Hot, hot Fuzz. Hot, hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's crazy how every single one of us just thought, let's all just do hot. That's got me from something. What is that from that we all just thought hot was the, was, was the necessary response to that? I just don't know. It just sounded like it. What does it say? Is it, it sounds hot like it fuzz. fits in Saturday Night Live. <laughs> hot. hot fuzz. This week we are reviewing uh, Hot Fuzz, the 2007 action comedy film directed by the incomparable Edgar Wright. It was released on the 16th of February in the UK, slightly later in the US, but nevertheless was a box office success and critics and audiences loved it too. Uh, a cool accolade is that Empire Magazine voted it 67th in its list of the greatest films of the 21st century. A yarp. Yarp. Narp. <laughs> this was the second film in the now immortalized Three Flavor Cornetto trilogy. What, the- what were the other two? I, I didn't even know this was what they were called, but it, you know, like you just knew that the Cornetto thing ran through it. So Shaun of the Dead was obviously the yeah. first one, um, and then we had Hot Fuzz, and the, and the World's one. End. World's End. So the f- three flavors: uh, red was for blood, zombies; blue was for police; and green was for aliens. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert for anyone that hasn't seen World's the End. World's End. <laughs> <laughs> like, like sincere spoiler alert. And the uh, the name of the film is actually up afterwards. No, no. Well, maybe maybe towards the pre-production phase of Hot Fuzz, but um, you know, by the time Hot Fuzz was out, it was definitely a yeah. The Cornettos were a thing, a hundred percent. And uh, I'll tell you, it wipes the floor with the name of the trilogy. It's taking the piss out of. It's taking the piss out of the Three Colors trilogy by uh, Kieselowski, which many. What were those three films? uh, Blue, red, and white. Literally. 
I try not to laugh, but it's just like, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's a trilogy of French films from the 90s, early 90s. It was The first one was Blue, and I remember that one. I don't really remember what much about the white and the red one, but the, the one in Blue is pretty sad. It's set in Paris, and it's this woman who's lost her family in an accident, and um, she starts to go a bit wild. Am I going completely mad? It's like, you know, remember Nic- do you remember Nicoletta and Petros? Yeah. yeah. That's, this is the film that they would spend their entire lives trying to emulate. Emulate, right. It's, it's, that, it's like Jamon Jamon, Anton. Oh my God. It's oh. the most artistic film. Come on, let's, let's do that one time. We need, we need to do back to back, blue, white and red. I think you'll never ever you won't get through the first five <laughs> minutes, Ian. You just... we, may, we may we may genuinely have to do Jamon Jamon. I'm not even joking. Dude, I didn't even watch it at the time. <laughs> we, may, we, may, we may genuinely have to do Jamon Jamon. When we you know when we used to watch the art films that I had to watch for class, we spoke through most of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember anything about them yet. Jamon Jamon. I, I Jesus, have... I genuinely forgot about that film. Jamon Jamon. <laughs> Right, so, uh, the first film, as we said, was Shaun of the Dead, right, in 2004, and the third was World's End, which I think was 2013, thank you. Um, All films satirised sub-genres in movies, like Shaun of the Dead, obviously a homage to zombie horror, not just horror, World's End, uh, apocalyptic science fiction, not just science fiction, and Hot Fuzz, the buddy cop action Action comedy, yeah, which... um, Leads us to the trailer. So, Maestro, play that trailer, please. Sergeant Nicholas Angel. Expert in hand-to-hand combat. Armed response. And high-speed pursuit. He was so good, they reassigned him. Right. You've been making us all look bad. There's one thing you haven't taken into account, and that's what the team is going to make of this. Statistically, Sanford is the safest village in the country. Now, this big city car. You ever fired two guns whilst jumping through the air? No. You ever fired one gun whilst jumping through the air? No. Must learn. Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? How to think small. Morning, the swans escaped. The swans escaped. Can you describe it to me? About two foot tall. Yep. Uh, long, slender neck. That's just going to scare it. But in a place where not much goes on. Watch this. <laughs> a whole lot is about to go down. Three people have died in a week. Accidents happen all the time. What makes you think it was murder? There hasn't been a murder in 20 years. You're saying this wasn't an accident. Not everyone's a murdering psychopath. It's high time you realise that. You and your monkey. Did he mean me or that? Have you ever wondered why the crime rate is so low and yet the accident rate is so high? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to bust this thing wide open. From the guys who watched every action movie ever made and created Shaun of the Dead. you never taken a shortcut before? Come the fuzz. You gotta call. 
the first. Gunfights, car chases. And that's what I'm talking about. Hot fuzz. You've got a moustache. I know. Spoiler alert, this is the point where we warn you, moving forward, spoilers come quicker than a metal filing cabinet to the face. So if you want to pause the podcast here and go and watch the movie, that's cool. And if you don't mind, let's continue on. As always, why don't we start talking about the cast? And we might be here for a fucking while. What <laughs> a freaking... Like, genuinely, who's who of at least a certain genre of British acting. It's just unreal. You know, fuck films like Love Actually and Valentine's Day, uh, you know, where they get these ensemble... Here's the funny together. thing. Loads of the people from Love Actually are in this film anyway. <laughs> it's it, it, it so true, yeah. <laughs> Bill Nye, you know. Um, oh, it's crazy. I, but it's the reason why this film, no matter what scene it is, it's polished, it's dynamic, it's entertaining. Every... It's just a beast of an ensemble, right? Put it put it this way. Put it this way. Do you want to hear the uncredited list? Do you want to hear the uncredited list? Uncredited, right? yeah. Without credited, yeah? yeah? Kate Blanchett played Janine. Now, Ian, Janine is the girlfriend that he breaks up with at the or that they've already broken up at the beginning of the film. Yeah, that's Kate Blanchett. Steve motherfucking Coogan plays the inspector. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uncredited. How much of a badass film do you need when Steve Coogan is not credited? <laughs> Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson plays Santa. Peter freaking Jackson. Peter Jackson, Ian, is the director of Lord of the Rings. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Is, I, um, is Steve Merchant, is he, is he listed in the credits? So he's listed. He's listed in the credits, Steve Merchant. Oh, is the Hound listed in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, yeah. but I didn't. I had no idea. It wasn't till you told me that ages ago. You was, he, he was like, yeah, yeah, and he was in, uh, he was in hot fuzz. I was like, bro, what the hell have you been smoking? <laughs> have, you, have you been smoking that hot fuzz or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, Ian, you're right. Another uh, Game of Thrones alumni is uh, Walder Frey, the one and only David Bradley. Yes, um, <laughs> Starting from the top, we've got. Uh, Simon Pegg as Nicholas Angel. Why has this man not got an OBE yet? It's nuts. <laughs> the guy is so successful outside of the UK, and he did it all without looking like Tom Hardy. I don't like. He's he's fucking everywhere. You know, like the funniest thing is, even in this film, yeah, you fully believe. Do you know what? Yeah, maybe he could actually be the baddest cop in London. <laughs> I totally. He he owns this part, and uh, I think he'd only done Mission Impossible like a year before this this is before star trek before the rest of the mission impossible films uh he's in the boys now do you know what i mean like yeah it's just the guy the guy it, it, like, you know no offense to simon Pegg, the guy who looks so ordinary mm. and that's probably part of his charm isn't it he, he's just he looks like a guy you'd, you'd see down the pub anyway nick frost as um pc danny butterman um yep. always by Pegg's side in these movies and i know Absolutely. he's got uh, a really big following and is generally an entertaining actor. He comes across as the stiffest and moodiest person in real life. Yeah. It's uh, it's a testament to how good of an actor he is, actually. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah, the funny thing is, you know, he, uh, while Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg were writing the film, um, they obviously always envisioned Nick Frost as like the 
obviously the partner to Nicholas Angel. Mm. And <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'll be in the film as long as I get to choose his name. So he chose Danny Butterman. <laughs> that was his one caveat. What? His caveat was I would have chose his name. So he chose Danny Butterman. I think probably the third most important actor in the film is Jim Broadbent uh, as Frank Butterman, Danny's dad. And mm. he's famous... Okay, all right, he's famous for playing that slughorn guy in the Harry Potter films. But for those of us who hate Harry Potter, he is Slater from Only Fools and Horses. But he knows. Oh, he's probably as prolific an actor as anyone in this film. He's Hollywood's go-to comedic old British statesman. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, Moulin Rouge, uh, Gangs of New York, uh, Indiana Jones. The old, the old British nice guy. He literally plays... Uh, Margaret Thatcher's husband. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. My favourite cast member of this whole film, Timothy fucking Dalton. <laughs> Mr. James Bond himself. He was brilliant in this. Oh my God, he's chewing up the scenery. He he's, loves it. He's so good at this. He's having a fucking blast. He's so good in this. As Simon Skinner. Sissy Skinner. I suppose the biggest cast member now, even bigger than Simon Pegg, is Olivia Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Coleman. I was going to say, yeah, Olivia Coleman now, huge. As Doris Thatcher, who actually is probably closer to a knighthood than Simon Pegg. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. She's an true. Oscar-winning best actress. True. Probably, true. Probably everyone's first choice for any middle-aged woman in a British show yeah, or exactly. setting. Yeah. Um, Julia Deacon, who I only mention here because Ian will appreciate, she's the landlady in Spaced. Happy anniversary! There's <laughs> a few space cast here, which uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. space probably propelled this and made it easier to get these people in. Oh, easily. Yeah, Edgar, Edgar Wright, Edgar. Sorry, I mean, yeah, all three of them. I mean, Edgar Wright himself. I mean, because who, who actually has a cameo in in there as well? I'm actually pretty. He's a shelf stacker, apparently. Oh, I never saw in, that in there as well. Oh, this guy has done everything. Well, you say that, and I agree. He's done. He's never done a bad film. But in 20 years, he's directed seven films and one documentary. But you you feel that he's everywhere because all the films are fucking amazing. Like exactly. Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Baby Driver, Last Night in Soho. Adventures of Tintin. Oh, man. Like, well, Ant-Man. Freaking Ant-Man. Well, yeah, he... he Co-wrote the, scheme for I, the screenplay for that one. I don't think he'd want to be reminded of how they fucked him on that. <laughs> You know, they, well, they kicked they kicked him off the project after developing it for years. But he's he's like Tarantino in a way. You know, he picks and chooses his projects wisely, and he's pretty much never done a bad film. Do you guys remember when we watched this? I, if I remember correctly, was reluctant to watch this. You're absolutely right. Yes, if I remember correctly, I was reluctant to watch this because, funny enough, in the whole Triple Cornetto thing. This was the first one I watched. I think we got to admit this week we are cheating a bit because me and Ian went to Odeon to see this and because you weren't convinced. But when it yeah. came out on DVD a few months later, I got it early because this was back in the days where the films came out a lot earlier in America on DVD. Yeah, yeah, and you remember yeah. I used to go to America for yeah, summer. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I brought yeah. the DVD back, and we sat you down and said, "This is going to change your life." Yeah, we um, have to watch it. Yeah, and and you did, and you fucking loved it. Oh, man. It's just, I mean, obviously we'll get into it, but just, obviously it's the film nerds that we were. Certain elements of the films, and that was, this was the entire point of why this film was created, kind of spoke to to you as a film nerd, where you're just like, oh, hold on, this is this, this, and then And then by the time when you get to the 
obviously bombastic end and it was like blatant that we're not even trying to hide this anymore. It was oh, it was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, it was awesome. It was so good. Well, the, the only reason you... Well, the thing is, the only reason we saw it is because me and Ian, it was a, we, we knew it was a precursor to Spaced. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some people actually say it's a... It's a continuation of space, the the the, the Cornetto trilogy, and space obviously starred Peg and Frost, and and was directed by Wright. Um, and the genre films that are kind of the focus of this trilogy, this film trilogy, they are deployed throughout space. Like the style is very similar. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, I, remember, I remember there was an episode, there's there few episodes, there was the episodes you showed me, and it was purely because they, for lack of a better term, spoofed certain elements of certain films and then put that straight up in space. Ian, what was your favourite episode of Space? I, th I think the, w the ones that hooked me into it, ra rather than so much my favourite, but like Anton just said, is they would take themes, movies, and then create a whole episode that had the same feel of it. They wouldn't so much rip off the story, but... So Resident Evil, then? Uh, evil, yeah, the, the Resident Evil episode, absolutely. Um, <laughs> sticks with me. Where they played uh, Resident Evil for such a long time, they start imagining the zombie apocalypse actually happening. We just got to search for survivors. <laughs> Got to split up, look for survivors, and then get the hell out of here. You haven't seen World's End? You must have. No, I got halfway through and gave up. Wow. What the? When did I watch? I, I didn't. I didn't like the lead. I hate to. Say, I didn't like Simon Legg's character. I felt he was a bit of a dick. Oh, he was such a dick. The film. He was. He was a dick. I watched really World's End. Me off. Don't, was it, did I watch it with you, Ben? Did yeah. I watched it hundred percent with one of you. The, the the whole trilogy actually, unlike other movies that you might consider spoofs. This is really a trilogy about something uh, and something that does sync up together. And that is relationships, right? You know, the Shaun of the Dead is a rom-com. Hot Fuzz is a buddy cop film. And the kind of the theme of World's End is that it's about codependency and, uh, and what it does to friendships. Mm. Uh, it really sets a tone that these films are just, they're not like The Naked Gun. They're not like Blazing Saddles. They're not just taking scenes from... Well, they're not like Scary Movie. They're not just taking scenes from famous... Well, it's just that this is so fresh, right? In so far as the film is positing that you can place an action buddy cop story anywhere and the framework and the conventions are so strong, literally any terrain will work. Absolutely. Like, one way or another. In this, it's like car chases down narrow country lanes. <laughs> it's, you know, do I go after the criminal or do I recapture the swan? Um, is it really your friendly local pub or is it a fucking cash for arms? Is it, <laughs> is it blood or is it bolognese? You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's not just let's take a bunch of US cop comedy movie scenes and set it in a quaint West Country England, uh, even though that's where Wright and Pega are from. Yeah. Um, I think Edgar Wright's mission was, and he noted this, uh, that action movies, they come from all over the world China, Japan, USA, Australia, Thailand, Bollywood, Nollywood, but never from England. Exactly that. And there's never been actually a traditional cop film from the UK. And he was like, okay, cool, let's change that. Do you know how many films they watched to get ready for this? Only, be, only because I looked into it. And I was like, you know when we were, we were going to do that whole thing of let's write down references of films that they relate to? And I was like, yeah, I've got like seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Mm -hmm. 138. 138 cop films. 138 action movies. It's freaking crazy. Well, I was trying to look for like references of stuff like that. I don't, I don't know, know if, if they're, they're, they're no, they're, they're not. They're subtle references. They are. It, it, it does. It does start adding up, and it's not just films. It's styles of exactly. action film. I think that the most before we just go into the plot, 
Um, I think the most ingenious thing about this film is they tell a good story regardless of the fact that they're just ripping on conventions, right? This story and film as a whole is so superb that they tell it while ripping on the story tropes that they are telling. Absolutely. Exactly. From the get-go. It's brilliant. <laughs> it, it's so good. It has heart. It's got a message. It's, uh, it's sweet, yet they, they absolutely rip the piss out of everything, of all of these things. And, and you can tell. This is just normal for, for Edgar Wright. Every single frame of this film was thought out before they started. Each visual... Every inch of visual, I reckon. I, I reckon there was a whiteboard with, with every frame of this film. And what I believe is happening here is that they aren't just ripping on action movies. They're taking the opportunity to rip on the essence of the movie industry. Yeah. And the conventional pattern of, of script writing. Um, in, in creative writing, right, they'll teach you the core rule, which is to be taken like a fucking religion. Pay off what you set up. It's called Chekhov's gun. And if you see a gun in Act 1, it means fire it in Act 3. So loads of podcasts talk about this ad nauseum. We're not going to do that here. But I think they are ripping the piss out of this very concept. I've never seen a film that tries to set up so many things and then pay them off to a fault. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's so, uh, the funny thing is it's so obvious that they're doing it. Mm. Like, you know, we, we, you know we, we mentioned the whole thing in a few podcasts uh, about like for the sense of foreboding, making, giving elements of things that are going to happen much further on. It's it's literally just at one point he looks at the he looks at the fountain and that's the name of every single person on the round table from the NWA who currently runs the entire the entire town. Mm. It's oh, wow. crazy. It's everything. It's it's literally everything. Timothy Dalton obviously playing the playing the the uh, the foil through the whole way throughout to purposely throw you off because you're just like. But that's so obvious. Like, he's literally referencing the crimes and the things. Like, why would you? And it's like, yeah, but this is why. It's, oh, it's so well done. It's so well done. So I say, let's dive into the plot. Nicholas Angel, a high-achieving metropolitan police officer, is promoted to sergeant. But his resentful colleagues arrange for him to be reassigned to the small rural town of Sanford, Gloucester, a regular Village of the Year winner. Angel is soon frustrated by the mundanity of the village, his lazy and incompetent colleagues and local official com commitments to low crime statistics rather than law enforcement. His partner, PC Danny Butterman, again, I still don't get that name, um, who he arrested earlier for a drunken behavior, is a fan of buddy cop films and the son of Inspector Frank Butterman, Angel Superior. Anyone ever been to Gloucestershire? Ah, uh, yes, actually. <laughs> when, when, how, how come? Um, so I'm pretty sure. Let me let me make sure the geography is correct in this. Guildford is in Gloucestershire, right? It is. Gl it is. I just want to make sure. Cheltenham, that's the one. Yeah. 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 There we go. That's where Annie was. That's where Annie was. I've been there all the time. Been there a load of times. Oh uh, right, yeah. So you have been there. I mean, yeah. I might be cheating, but um, I went to the Cotswolds in October, which is pretty much Gloucestershire. I think it is yeah. actually in Gloucestershire, and it's very yeah. nice. I honestly could see myself retiring there. Um, but I could also see myself retiring on a boat out in the Med, so who knows? <laughs> it's uh, it's very cool. It's got like these, um, it's like Knight Templar Central. Like there's so yeah, many, it really is. So many abbeys, fortifications, and then they got these fucking ancient footpaths that contain like pagan imagery. <laughs> you, 
you, you can't take a shortcut without accidentally encircling yourself within a masonry <laughs> trail. That is so true. Somehow secretly explaining the uh, the mysteries of the cosmos and how to sacrifice virgins. It is so true. Like Chel- Cheltenham itself is very very picturesque, but it literally is just like it's, it's like bring your protractor. You're gonna need it. <laughs> Have you been, Ian? I have not. I've been checking it out. Uh, I've definitely been through it. I don't think I stopped. Uh, but rude. Just rude. Definitely not. Well, it's set, it's, it's set in Gloucestershire, but it's actually filmed in Somerset, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually a place called... Give me two seconds. It's actually where um, Edgar Wright is from. It's his hometown, Wells, in Somerset. Going so back to his hometown and be like, guess what, everyone? I made it in Hollywood. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is they actually wanted to use a few other places. And the first place, they, they, the place they actually wanted to use and were going to, they, uh, the town was like, no. <laughs> 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 quite, quite literally. They went, they went to, where was it? Stow, was it Stow, they went to Stowe-on-the-Wold. Wow. Yeah, exactly that. I don't even know what that is. Exactly that. Interesting. Um, I think some scenes were actually filmed down our ends. Um, like, isn't it Hendon Police School? Hend- so, yeah, Hendon Police College. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you see it, Ian. You, that's on the Northern Line, isn't it? You see it from the train because there was that Doctor Who yeah. box that you always went between, on about. Yeah, between um, it's where they used to train recruits. I think it's changed or updated recently, but um, I think it became an actual police station rather than just a training centre, or they built a new one. But yeah, you, yeah. you can you can see it between Collendale and Hendon. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then Mill Hill as well, where the uh, where they actually did the flower shop scene as well. Starting from like literally scene one, immediately you know that this film is not taking itself seriously, but it's not not taking not itself, taking itself seriously. seriously. Absolute, yeah. that's the perfect description. That's yeah. the perfect way of putting it. Because there's a ton of good shit in here. I mean, you get the Santa Claus stabbing him. You get the advanced cycling, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but really, like th- there is a lot of detail into who this guy is and. We know that he went to Canterbury University, um, Kent, basically. He said he gra- it says he graduated in 1993, so that should put him at around 21 years old if he did three or four years of uni, uh, like standard. And the film is set in 2006, so 21 plus 13. So, God, that he'd be in 2006, he was our age that we are now. That's nuts. Fuck that. Fuck this. It's looking good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> he uh, so Nicholas Angel got a double first in <laughs> yeah, sociology and politics. And politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did realise that. So, yeah. so unless the um, the syllabus and the and everything's changed since we were at uni, he would need to have got seventy percent at least in two separate subjects. In two, in two two separate freaking courses. <laughs> I fucking scraped a 2-1 by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> Double first. With a lot of Wikipedia uh, borrowing. <laughs> but anyway, either way, right away you can tell this guy is obsessed with his own ambition. Absolutely. Like, you know, later on, and we'll get to that, he opens up about why he joined the police. And Sorry, not... Yeah, th- no, you can say police. You can't say police force. You Service. can't say police force, yep. Yeah. Service. <laughs> but this... I went th- we should try and uh, stick to the vocab guidelines for this. <laughs> Police officer. Yeah. But this uh but this intro really sets him up as a guy that is destined to collapse under the weight of his look at him, he keeps a fucking meticulous record of his arrests. Who does that? I I think the flaws they picked for him are perfect though, because it made me like him as a character overall. Like he had ambitions and he had 
applause, but I think I think that, that in that scene though he kind of had it. He was getting shipped, and there, there was a reason why he was getting shipped. And eventually, mm. it wasn't until Bill Nye came and uh, the actual Met Chief Inspector was just like, "Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're making us look bad." Anton, did you notice what uh, Bill Nye did in that scene? <sighs> a li- just a little nod. I thought you'd pick it up. I never miss these things. Oh, what was it? He does something with his face. I kind of want to say it's something to do with. Do you know that you know so in Pirates of the Caribbean because he was yes, the thing yes, in Pirates of the Caribbean he it. does the same mouth thing he does he, he does his yeah, Davy Jones I thought he did I thought so yeah uh, I, did I, that's what, he did the Davy Jones uh, like twitch face yeah, yeah 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 because oh, right. he plays Davy Jones I was like Anton's going to catch that yeah Jesus Christ you know what's happening there almost had me almost mm. had me but I do remember thinking that scene yeah yeah you know I've previously mentioned before about giving away the ending in plain sight in like the first five minutes. Yeah. Uh, happens again here. He goes, you can't just make people disappear. And he goes, uh, yes, I can. I'm the chief inspector. Which is telegraphing that the inspector Butterman is behind oh, it all along. Yeah, yes, I can. Absolutely. It's, really, oh, it's just so well done. Yeah. It's I love it when they do that. A, it's such a good film. It really is. Yeah. What, why Why Sanford? Why Sam? No, I can't do the voice. Sanford. San, Sanford. Yeah. <laughs> Yar. We need, Yar. Pit, we need Pittman here, really, don't we? Oh yeah, you'll nail that. <laughs> oh, I should, we should have had him on as our first guest. <laughs> Is this West Country? <laughs> Tell us, Pittman. Um, why did they send him to Sanford? They want him out there, out of their way. I get it. Send him anywhere except the only place where you believe he won't ever have to do anything. Like they don't just want him gone; they want to break his soul. <laughs> it, is, it really is that it's just come up and it's just like we're going to send you to a place where you literally can't do anything. Yeah. In the, because there is nothing to do because you do too much. It was lowest crime rate, wasn't it? Like, yeah, the yeah, lowest crime rate sure in the country. Like, yeah. We're taking you from the top to the bottom. So, but there'll know, be loads so. of places in Somerset that are crime-ridden that could use a Nicholas Angel. Send him to Middlesbrough or up north or Swansea, far, far west. Like, Gloucestershire is a three-hour drive, two and a half if you're a fast driver. I'm sure, like, within the next ten years, it will be incorporated into outer London. <laughs> you know like like a growth it just doesn't stop it's true uh can you see the estate agent listing fabulous links to central <laughs> T- two hour train two journey hours, exactly <laughs> a st- only two hours a stone's throw from luton airport <laughs> <laughs> yes you've got to throw the stone like the freaking hulk but, still. <laughs> but it's just it's just weird they send him to the one place where he that there's literally nothing to be done. If you don't want him in London because he makes you look bad, at least utilise his talents and, and put him somewhere far, far away where the crime is still high. I think that's the whole point, though, isn't it? The whole point was that it was, especially more more probably as, as or more to kind of compensate for the actual plot itself and the fact that even in Sanford, not everything is what it seems. Yeah. And all the action can be pulled off in what is quite literally the safest place in the UK because they kill all the criminals i think stressing the office politics here as well where he really must have peed off the people he was working with all of them to the point where they were like we're just going to do a mobile we're going to send him to the middle of nowhere yeah, they're, they're toying with him as well and he's like well where are you staying staying in the section house char- sir, uh, sarge living out of cardboard boxes oh well, well then you're recruits. packed already <laughs> well then you're packed already <laughs> <laughs> that line kills me. They're every being time. such cunts to him. <laughs> well, then you're packed already. <laughs> I mean, um, must really have hated him. they must have really hated him. Uh, but the thing is, the the joke is, there's so much crime in rural England. 
Like, I, I, I genuinely think that is partially kind of what, I mean, think about it. Edgar Wright comes from that country, from, from that side of the uh, country. He probably knows. He's probably well aware. Probably got away with some shit himself. <laughs> Let's face it. You, I'm don't, you, don't, you don't write stuff like that without, without having some secret dark part <laughs> yourself. I, I'm talking like OCG stuff. Livestock theft that happens and the, uh, the, the massive like burglary sprees, uh, poaching. Coincidentally, the funny thing was actually on the way home from work. <laughs> and I've only just realized just now how appropriate it is. There, there literally was a police car behind me as I was driving past, or driving from Wimsor. And obviously, you've got to drive to a little bit of the country bits. It was a, it's four by four and literally had police. And then it said, rural team. It's <laughs> 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 just like, you literally could have written it. I completely forgot. I just only just literally just realized it or just remember seeing it just now. They were packing, you know, they, they were, were packing. You know, they were probably sitting there like, hunting. Yeah, man. <laughs> Um, I have a joke for you, actually, Ian and Anton. Yep. How many investigators does it take to contaminate a crime scene? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably half of the number they have <laughs> in this small fucking room. Well, you realise that class is broken from the inside, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> you will never... You will, I, I've seen enough TV to know, enough CSI to know that you would never get that many fucking people in a... In a crime scene, dusted for prints. What the, they're all? I know they're no. all, you know, wearing their kits and everything, but they're fucking. But you say that, yeah? Not, or they're all wearing their kits. And Nicholas Angel, freaking upstand, upstanding, greatest cop in, <laughs> in the history, just fucking walks into the crime scene yeah. with none of his shit on. What? <laughs> oh god. This, I, I think that whole scene is jarring. Um, the scene with, with Janine, because you want to believe he's got another side to him, but. He's irritating as fuck he at this point. He doesn't change. That's the whole point. He doesn't. You've gone change. there to win her back. Why the fuck are you citing vocab guidelines? <laughs> it's like he's got an involuntary tick. Okay, maybe he's not gone there to win her back, but he he wanted to make amends. He wanted yeah. to make peace with her. You know, he, he's smart enough to know, like, oh shit, I'm just doing exactly what she always tells me I'm doing. Anyone notice the swear jar? Yep. What did you notice about the swear jar? So I noticed that it was there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Well, I noticed, and this has tickled me like all since last night, because I never noticed it before. All the words are starred out, except for the worst one, which is kind of... <laughs> 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 it's, got like, it's got like fuck with a star on, uh, you know, in place of the U, and <laughs> knob with you know, a star in place of the O, and then there's just cunt. Like, it's, it's... <laughs> Not noticed that. And, and, and I also noticed the intricacy has already started. About, you know, it says the proceeds go to the church roof. Absolutely, yep. It's every yep. single fucking shot of this Foreboding. film. Every shot of this film has a purpose. You know, that, sh- stretch, that, sh- that swear jar was not just a funny thing. It was, it was telling us a bit of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a, uh, a confession to make. Never until last night did I realise that the hotel was named The Swan. <laughs> what? Seriously? I never, ever noticed that before. <laughs> I never noticed the Swan statue in the hallway outside his room. Swans everywhere. Yeah, I just thought the Swan was just was just the, you know, the Swans escaped. That was the first time I thought it was referenced. The, the, the line, when he speaks to... And I'm, I'm not going to do that weird thing where I just say the person who's receptionist... Uh, Joyce Cooper, was it Joyce Cooper? Was uh, she the... Joyce. She was. Yes, Joyce it is Cooper. Joyce, yeah. Yeah, Joyce. Joyce Cooper, who is the... Well, she's not the receptionist. No, she, she runs a hotel. Runs she runs a hotel. Yeah. And and she says the whole... 
you've already you, when he says something, you've checked in. He said, "What? How, how can you just check, checked in? You're, you've already been here. Or you've already been here. Something like that." Yeah. Surely that's 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 a reference to film. Was that The Shining? What was that? That is absolutely The Shining. I thought I knew it. I knew it. Wow. Weird, seeing as it's a an action satire. It's, it's, they, they just they they just go in in this film, yeah. honestly. But uh, that's uh, the first one I wrote down. You mentioned the fountain, right? And how the the names are a big clue. Mm. Um, you know, you know when he sees the graffiti. Yeah. Is that? It looked like a symbol to me. It looked like a nine. I didn't. I didn't. I reckon that was part of a part of a strand of the film that was cut in the yeah. final edit because potentially because he says uh, it, it, it turns out that they just use it to, for him representing the fact that the hoodies uh, graffiti everything, um, but it just looked like a an important. Oh, see, they focused on it, but it was it was like a nine, a red nine. I yeah. do remember that because I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is nothing of what I'd be paying attention to, and it was like, nah. Yeah. But again, half an hour of footage was cut from the actual film. I know. So the film really gets going, I think, when you know he gets to the pub. Now, Angel doesn't break rules, right? Until he does, <laughs> because you're 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 a cop. Okay, you're off duty, but there are dozens of underage drinkers in this pub, and the landlord has literally admitted that they know that their patrons are underage. At the very least. This is an no. It's maybe not be an arrest, but at the very least, a suspension of their license, a massive fine. Um, he lets the custody sergeant throw Danny in a cell without booking him. That's illegal. Yeah, I didn't understand it myself either. Um, where are the parents? You can't book minors without alerting their parents that they're under arrest. True. But yeah, it's all forgiven because I love this film. And <laughs> it, and the the best, you know. Anything else up to this point was blah until he does that bad man click of the pens. <laughs> it was it was like yeah. this, that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> going to be a lot of problem. Going to be a lot of paperwork. My that's pens run out. Because are you sure you want to process all this lot? My pens run dry. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how they actually managed to have paperwork as a as a as an as an action scene. Yeah. <laughs> like that's when you think about that, that's actually brilliant. To be able to show paperwork as an action scene is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the the at the start of this film, um sorry, at the start of the the Sanford story, uh, you know, Nicholas Angel's getting to grips with the town, getting to know uh what's what. And then uh the NWA scene um where he's invited to uh to their meeting, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Anton, I've been holding on to this for fifteen years. Okay. Because I'm a weirdo, but also because it's funny. When we watched this scene, right back, you know, when he's like saying, "Oh, I think I've got a cream for that," or you will be lucky with the uh, yeah, Uncle Birds. I remember your feedback was, "Well, oh, they seem like really nice folk." <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the funny, the funny thing is, I remember watching that scene when he goes <laughs> and he says. Oh, um, so you're an atheist? Says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not. I'm not opposed to the fact that there may be something similar to like higher power, agnostic. And he goes, I think I've got cream for that. That kill, like even now when I watched it, I was like, that's that's such a line. Mm. I remember thinking, what a shame these guys are all cunts <laughs> 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 because it's such a good setup. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I uh, and all of them. Even the priest, he's obviously. Um... 
you know, he can't be a priest and really and be doing what he's doing. Absolutely that. The, even the town doctor, and I noticed that the doctor says, I hope I don't see too much of you over the coming months. Is that him accidentally saying how long he expects Angel to be around? I don't know. Oh, I th- obviously, given, given, given his role as, as the uh, the new sergeant, fair enough, it, it kind of makes sense, but potentially, it could be more that foreboding. Yeah. I mean, they seem very arrogant in the way that they go about this, so it sure. could be a precursor to what they plan, because they, they keep flaunting it and dropping comments with the people that they have killed. Yeah. Seymour so. literally does not hide oh my it God. in you know, this. Uh, if, he's we a bash, if we bash your brains in, <laughs> we bash your head in, I'm sure all sorts of secrets spin out. It's like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> Anton, if, if, if we were in a, a cult that was secretly murdering innocent people, right, and someone of us, let's just say Ian, was mouthing off to every fucking person, <laughs> including the most diligent cop in the entire village. Would you and I not have a conversation <laughs> about maybe killing Ian? <laughs> you just would. I think the funny thing is, though, I think that's the role he takes on for the NWA. Uh, neighborhood <laughs> Tell me in, that, mate. mate, the neighborhood with attitude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you know what's funny though? Like, it's a double meaning. Like, yeah, absolutely. The big, biggest song, their biggest song at the time, not at the time, but one of the biggest songs was "Fuck the Police." Absolutely. And, and, exactly, and they, exactly they, that. they do. And they, they actually do exactly. They do things their way. Exactly that. Exactly. I funny enough, I actually remember. I literally did think that. I was like, the whole point is it's pretty funny how that literally that fuck the police. Mm. But um, that whole again being that obvious foil and basically taking a lot of the heat. And therefore, not necessarily doing anything, and then being, and then just drawing the attention because it, again, it drew the attention away from everyone else. It mm. was it, he played that role perfectly. Yeah, agreed. I love the little subtle. I know they make a joke about it, but um, you know the fact that Angel wears a stab vest to the pub is another great way of showing us how tightly wound he is. Yeah, and it makes the movie more than a satire because it's it's he's a real flesh and blood character. He's yeah. been stabbed before. You know he. He is always alert. Ian, I know you're dying to say you've got a moustache. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But this is this is why I, I'm sort of bonded with the character. Is as flaws goes for characters, it's one that I actually really liked, and he's always on the job, and he's always serious. Like he lives it, and you know. Yeah, he, he's definitely getting more likable at this point. Hundred percent. The film, it's funny because I think as the, as the film goes on, the film very much evolves. And as he goes on, obviously, he evolves with it. Martin Blower and Eve Draper, the two lead actors of an Amdram production of Romeo and Juliet, whom Angel had pulled over earlier for speeding, are murdered by a cloaked axe-wielding figure who stages it as a car accident. Angel is the only officer who suspects foul play. Sent to resolve a small dispute, Angel discovers an illegal weapon stash, including an old sea mine, and locks them in a police station. Angel warms to, warms to Danny, and they binge-watch action movies at Danny's home. That night, wealthy land developer George Merchant is attacked in his home by the cloaked figure and killed in a deliberate gas explosion. Has anyone here ever shopped at Summerfield? Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Mate, 100%. I, I remember the adverts in the 90s with uh, that Birds of a Feather person, Le- uh, Les- uh, Leslie something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leslie Ash? No, I think it's... no. I think I know. I remember the name of the character, Leslie Joseph. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The one. Um, apparently, they 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 went out of business uh, only a couple of years ago. 
really? Yeah. Because I, I remember the slogan, because I saw it on the advert, and I thought it was someone having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, was, it said it was um, summer thing different. They kept saying summer thing different. Uh, it's like it's like when you trip over your tongue after having an aneurysm. I just didn't get the pun. Summer thing, <laughs> summer thing different. Old school. Old it did, it did have that bargain bin, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Of course it did. Yeah. I remember the summer field in Newton. I know exactly where it was. It, it used to be. It used to be quick save. And then they wow. replaced it. With, they replaced it with Summerfield. Yeah, uh, this film didn't do enough to save Summerfield. Then absolutely not. Uh, so we know Simon Skinner runs the local supermarché. Go on in. Do you think it maybe finished them off, Summerfield? <laughs> 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 oh, after the big summer, fight scene. Summer, summer thing went wrong. <laughs> 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 Look, is it wrong that I wanted to see more of that Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. That, that was that yeah. Yeah. That it. was that was crazy. Love me, love me. That was it. I was trying to remember the song. That was the <laughs> Um I know it made me cringe when they were kissing though. I think that he, that hit me. Yeah. I think that was the whole point though. They did that they did that well. They did that well. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a show there's a show on uh, in the West End called Anne Juliet, which is a jukebox musical. And I'm pretty sure that they took inspiration from oh, this version of Romeo and Juliet. It wouldn't surprise me. I wanted to see more of those two. I was interested. Uh they were funny. But we'll come to that anyway. We'll see. We'll come to that, yeah. The um I love the the did you did you catch the uh, what Tim Messenger um, tries to pitch as a headline for, um, you know, what Angel thinks of the play. <laughs> so bad. Local Bobby gives thumbs up to teen suicide. Sergeant enjoys watching young lovers. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So funny. Um, but this is this is the 37 minute mark. I noted it down because it's the the first time in the film that we see the antagonist, which is uh, you know the you know dressed as the Grim Reaper. Mm. It, it, it's it takes a confident film to wait that long to to reveal what the bad guy is. And not only that, like so out of place in terms of what the film is. That makes sense because mm. it's like it's the first killing. Yeah, and it's like it literally went goes from that's where the film changes from rural buddy cop film to like almost slasher. It is, isn't it? It's a slasher. Pretty much slasher. Yeah, this is far more violent than any buddy cop film. Absolutely, absolutely. But then again, like I said, even doesn't if Edgar Wright like a lot of his stuff was uh, he he like kind of liked this original Sam Raimi uh, horrors, didn't he? Yes, you're right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good shout. He even did a horror recently. The you know lot. Last night in Soho. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So this this killer kills uh, Blower and Eve Draper, uh, and then that you know Skinner starts doing his. He's basically he's basically um, goading Angel, right? But I just thought it was funny when Angel says, "Do you mind telling me how you know the identities of those involved?" I'd have been like, "Well, yeah, their heads are on the pavement." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, do you know what? The funny thing was, I it was like, the, again, I, I was, I was assuming. I think maybe the, the assumption was that they put a tent because he actually mentioned something about putting a tent 
Uh, he cordons, he says cordon off, he says pretend to hide the, some the hide like... Yeah, the, but that was two seconds ago. I don't mean, that's how I was like, I was like, the heads were on the floor. <laughs> like, like, that's how I fucking know. How do, how, how do you know? Because I saw them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's one head over there. Oh, look, there's the other head over there. We could play football. You know, you may want to bag that up. The music in his car always matched the murder as well. To a song related to it, that put a smile on what was the What was the one... Um, what was this one? Because I know the there was the fire one for the... The fire one was the one that stopped me, but this one had one as well. Oh, I'll have to look that up well, later. It's to do with Romeo, wasn't it? Wasn't it like... No, that's what he says. He says... No, no, it's... Was it 21 seconds? Romeo, done! It was a Romeo song, um, but I, I can't remember what it was. I didn't even notice that. That's annoying. Yeah. I did remember that from way back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look at that up now. I'm going to look that up mm. like right now. Um, I, I think so. The after the the long day, they you know we get the obligatory. Well, it's like a celebration of a good day's work, and the, and the two of them bond. Right, it's a very lethal weapon, and then it becomes. I've marked it again. Forty eight minutes in, and we first get our. We get our first look into Angel's feelings. You know, he's guilt. He feels guilt. He feels frustration, uh, regrets. You know, him and Danny are talking, and and you believe it, even though they're they're satirizing uh, satirizing the convention of buddy cop bonding and opening yeah. up to each other. It's an obligatory scene in every buddy cop film, but they actually make you care. Yeah, and you start to realize now when Janine says to him. Until you care about someone more than your job, you'll never switch off. It's Danny. Yeah. It again. It works out well because they're they're op- They're very much very much opposites, and together they actually actually works. Thing is, Danny is the Danny is the only per- you know we'll come to this later, but Danny's the only person that learns anything um, from the Sanford uh, police who were there before Angel came. Uh, like he he listens. He adopts, he adapts, um, you know, he, he reads up, you know, every piece of advice or every throwaway comment that Angel gives him, he actually absorbs. Yeah, and it's instant. And he's confident in doing it as well. He, he doesn't just, you know, listen and absorb. He, he's actively trying to be a better policeman. He just yeah. he's never been shown how. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. So it turns out that song was actually called Romeo and Juliet <laughs> by the Dire Straits. Right. Fuck you, Ian. That's good. Well done. Good catch. So Angel suspects that the killings are connected to a recent property deal. A local journalist, Tim Messenger, approaches Angel at the village fete, claiming to have information, but another cloaked figure dislodges masonry atop the church's tower, which falls and crushes Mason's Messenger's head, killing him. Brilliant scene, by the way. Mm. <laughs> Leslie Teller, the village florist, tells Angel about her plan to sell her land to merchants' business partners. While Angel receives his note, retrieves his notebook, she's stabbed in the neck with her garden shears. Angel gives chase but loses the killer. Angel suspects Simon Skinner, a sinister supermarket manager, as the property deal would have built a rival supermarket, but Skinner has an alibi. The fate scene is probably my favourite. The, the fact that Danny is the one that Angel is going to gravitate towards um, and, and build a relationship that takes him out of work. You know, and he's like, I won that monkey for you. Yeah. And the guy, and he goes to Leslie Tiller to get a peace lily. 
And she says, is, is it for someone special? And he's like, yes, actually. Yeah. Like, they're playing the trope. The, uh, the fate scene started to highlight to me where a reoccurring joke they do through the whole thing. From Olivia Coleman, I think every line that she says in this film is solid gold, and it absolutely cracks me up. Then if you picked up the one in the fair where they stood over a hog roast, and she's like, "Oh, that's me after two pints." Oh no! Pure filth from her. Every, every line, line, every line from her is filth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Quite like a little midnight gobble. <laughs> Cocks. Also, Carl Johnson, uh, the other policeman who does like hard to understand always backs up piggybacks her jokes so i think i want the earlier scene sorry to backtrack but where, where the car crash happened and they're like, oh yeah the tops come off and she's like i've had my top come off on this alley before <laughs> and he's like tits <laughs> yes 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 absolutely yeah you're 100 percent correct because i did notice that one i did oh. notice that <laughs> I did notice that tits. Yeah. I never noticed that. Oh yeah, I did. I literally <laughs> remember that. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did actually notice that one. <laughs> Angel is attacked in his hotel room by one of Skinner's employees, Michael Lurch Armstrong. Angel knocks him out and learns of a secret neighborhood watch alliance, NWA, meeting at Sanford Castle. Angel confronts the NWA, led by Frank who reveals that they carried out the murders, stages accidents for various petty reasons as each victim supposedly threatened Sanford's chances of winning Village of the Year. Frank's motive is his late wife, Irene, had put everything into helping Sanford win the first Village of the Year, but travellers ruined their chances the night before the judges arrived, driving her to suicide. Angel flees and falls into the castle's catacombs where he finds the corpses of the NWA's other victims. Danny appears and fakes killing Angel, Pretending to dispose of the body, Danny drives Angel away and urges him to return to London for his own safety. At a petrol station, Angel sees a rack of the films he and Danny bonded over and decides to return to Sanford. I didn't see it coming the first time I saw it. I didn't see the, the twist coming. Absolutely. Well, I certainly didn't. I thought they were all nice people. Yeah, you cunts. <laughs> <laughs> we have arrived at the point where we learn the actual plot to a fault. Um, after Angel finds out the truth, the rest of the movie is purely showdown, isn't it? There's nothing but raw action and justice. So if, we, if you don't mind, can we break down what happened from three different perspectives? One is what happened from the audience perspective, the third-person perspective. B is what Angel thought was happening, and C, what the NWA were actually doing. Shit just got real. This is what actually happened. George Merchant... He was a property developer and wanted to turn more of Salford modern. And George with... Sanford. Salford. <laughs> Salford's where you used to live. Oh, <laughs> shit. Sanford. <laughs> George is friends with solicitor Martin Blower. Martin Blower's having an affair with Eve Draper, who works yep. at the council in planning and development. And through his friend... you know, Well, I think George Merchant has convinced Martin Blower to convince Eve Draper to grant him permission to build more property. And Martin Blower has gone to Leslie Tiller to buy her land because there's going to be a bypass that could go right through that area because yeah. he, and Eve knows about it. Draper yeah. and Blower are trying to swindle Leslie out of the value of that land by offering her ten times less what it's worth. 
Now, the inexplicable part is somehow Tim Messenger finds out and he tells Leslie what Martin and um, George are going to do. And then upon hearing this, Leslie decides that she's going to sell the land to developers who plan to build a retail park, which would also coincide with the bypass. That's what's really happening. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think the whole retail park wasn't that... An assumption made by Angel after he heard that uh, something about the land being used or being purchased to have a potential profitable value for, for whatever they were building. And it turned out it was a bypass, although he assumed it may be a retail park or a rival supermarket because of the person that uh, Sissy Skinner, I can't, I literally call him Sissy Skinner now. <laughs> Sissy Skinner um, is in terms of kind of the market he's in. So he was, he's thinking, oh, he's trying to stop that. When he's putting the pieces together, he's trying to stop that because he thinks. I, uh, no, I, I get competition to that. Definitely that's part of Angel's theory. But George Merchant isn't going to buy that land and build, you know, rustic village aesthetic. No, he's, no, no. He must be either wanting to build something that they don't want in Sanford. Or the and these developers from London, they don't care about keeping Sanford green and and rustic. So, I think there was a bit of truth in that. Mm. How, however, Angel's theory, as you say, Skinner knew Eve Draper knew where the new bypass road was going. Uh, Martin Blower had clients like Steve Merchant who had already been buying. It's not Steve Merchant, is it? I was going to say, I was going to do another correction. <laughs> Steve Merchant. Who, funny enough, is in the film. Yes, he is. Yes, he Yeah, is. coincidentally. Sorry, George Merchant. Um, Martin Blower, yeah, his client is George Merchant, who had already been buying up land on the edge of the village and turning it modern. And so Skinner saw the writing on the wall. This is what Angel thinks. Skinner saw the writing on the wall that Blower and Merchant, using all their insider knowledge that Eve gave them, were planning on buying up land in line with the bypass to build a huge retail park and put Skinner out of business. Now, Messenger somehow, Tim Messenger somehow confronts Skinner at the fair, telling him that he knew about the true value of Tiller's land. And I mean, why he would tell Skinner that, I have no idea. But then he ends up dead. That's what Angel thinks is happening, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Anton, you, uh, you, know, let, you tell us what was really happening. <laughs> so what was really happening... <laughs> The fact that Sanford is a nice place, and we're going to keep it a nice place, free of incredibly poorly written articles <laughs> where grammar. You know, when we used to talk about the grammar Nazis, Sanford quite literally <laughs> had them, grammar Nazis. So, yes, he had to die because he made a few mistakes. Um, George Merchant's house wasn't in keeping with the aesthetic. So, fuck George Merchant. So he had to be blown up. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Remove that house. Eve and Martin, who are in perfect positions to be able to have the entire kind of infrastructural cahoots that uh, they have. No. Shakespeare will never be sullied. <laughs> Fuck you. Death. <laughs> I wish it was that simple, but Eve, <laughs> Eve, Eve got killed just because she had an annoying she's laugh. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. She's just, she's just not, to be oh, fair, yeah. I've, I've, been in, I've, been in, I've been in a few situations like that and I have to agree. That, that's, a, that's a thing. That's 100% a thing. I can imagine loads of people from small villages actually see their councils and whatnot become like this. Where <laughs> not, not to the extent, but I'm sure it, it's come up in discussion 
at least like we need to get rid of so and so. Read the standing or... orders. <laughs> Read them and understand them. <laughs> you have no authority here. You have no authority, okay. Jackie Weaver. You have no authority. No authority. <laughs> Read them and understand them. <laughs> maybe hot fuzz. Maybe that. Maybe the whole Jackie Weaver thing was literally just a the modern version. Yeah. The modern COVID safe version of hot fuzz. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No authority at all. Oh, Boom. God. <laughs> what, wasn't this set in someone's town? As was it the director? Yeah, was right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it probably Edgar was like he had some idea of what <laughs> you know the politics, the ins and outs. Not not to the extreme where they're murdering people, but you know, like oh, really? stuff that must annoy people. <laughs> <laughs> what? But but the, okay, fine. But then one of them was actually moving from the village, and they were like, "No, no, fuck you. You're staying or you're dying." <laughs> <laughs> That, that was about land, though, wasn't it? Well, no, they didn't want her sharing her her gardening skills with any other village. With any other with any other village, yeah, that's literally why. <laughs> oh, oh, a bit. information comes so fast at the end of this film. I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure. No, seriously, these, these... that is literally that was literally what it was. Yeah, they 100%. just drop tons on this this scene. So uh, it's so true. They which did. I love. They don't dwell on it, which I did appreciate. To be honest, I was well up at this point for. You just wanted a shootout. But. For the huge shootout, we've all been waiting. But for. it really is that simple. They, the, the, the NWA are surreptitiously committing genocide by wiping out all those that differ <laughs> from their pure vision of how everyone is meant to look and behave. Now, where have we heard that in history before? <laughs> like I said, absolute grammar Nazis. I, I, Quite I, literally. <laughs> Uh, is, is it goes back to the uh, beginning, you know, where they, they telegraph. Uh, you know, Angel is told that if they're here in the pub at the beginning when he sees all the people underage, uh, the landlords say, well, yeah, some of them might be, you know, a couple of months south of, of being legal, but if they're in here, it stops them getting into trouble out there. And um, it's true because after he leaves the pub and they, they've all been let out of the pub, uh, he has to arrest some of them. One's pissing in the street. One's got a traffic cone on his head, which I didn't realise was a was an arrestable defence uh, offence. <laughs> but um, it's very clear the NWA believe one thing: the ends justify the means. Funny enough, they were there for their own safety. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's, what, that's basically what he was telling them: is that you don't realise they're there for their own safety. Yeah. Oh, well, we're going to kill them. <laughs> I love how they're so used to it. It's so like it's a part of their life mm. to the extent where um, Skinner's riding around, you know making like gags at the people they've just killed everyone else as well was just I, at the meetings when they're talking about killing people and then they brought up the name so i, I love what you start seeing in this uh act that the town is absolutely crazy like it's just it's the norm for them every cop film that we've ever seen from lethal weapon to bad boys right the protagonists aren't really just up against the drug dealer or the murderer, or the psychopath. They're up against the bureaucracy of the system that they work for, the red tape. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly and that. in Hot Fuzz, the murderers are the bureaucrats. <laughs> it, you, it, it's, the funny thing is, if you look at the film fundamentally, it literally has every single thing that these films should be about. We, we technically shouldn't really be that surprised by all the action that we know is going to come, but it's just the setting of it is so, like contradictory and juxtaposing it's like no you're absolutely it, right it's disarming it, it, it makes you like what and that's what makes it so damn good because mm. it literally is like you just said the cops are literally there when 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 it's that kind of the cops kind of going against the the 
the bureaucracy or the corrupt kind of system. They're just the old fuddy-duddies by all, who, who are, funny enough, and I don't know if this was done on purpose, but the fact that they're literally the oldest, whitest fuddy-duddies and they're actually called the NWA. <laughs> it's got to be a thing. Totally done on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's got to be on purpose. So, they really push it in your face, don't they? So, no, they, yeah. do, they do. And all these actors are old school Absolutely uh, old actors school. who who would have played heroes probably like you know James Bond is literally the main villain. Um, yeah. it, it's to show you it's like when you get old and white in the UK, you get racist and murderous. The reason that we're given for why the NWA started in the first place and why Frank is so uh, deranged is because his wife killed herself because they lost the Village of the Year competition. I don't. I think there's something more going on there. Like I think. I think Frank's feelings of revenge are misplaced. It's probably it probably had nothing to do with the Village of the Year award. Absolutely. <laughs> Funny so, enough, that's what I thought. So, uh, you know, a bit of transference, maybe. Frank never being home, uh, an unavailable husband, a non-communicable lover. You know, suddenly the town is overwhelmed with crime and Frank is powerless to stop it. And the irony may have made her snap. You know, Frank channeled his guilt into this crusade. I fucking had nothing to do with the Village of the Year award, I reckon. <laughs> NWA was was created was they created as a it's basically Frank's incredible compensation for for his shortcomings. <laughs> I I think that's true though. I think that's I think that's right. Maybe maybe Frank probably drove her to it. He said to Nick Nicholas, he's like, I I like you was once all about the you know unalterable letter of the law, and yet when the crusty jugglers invaded the town, they he he couldn't do anything about it. Uh, he probably spent all his time poli- doing police work and left his poor wife um, to go insane. It's, um, one of the things I think the film did really well is making, uh, it, like, staying away from the film becoming very dark. Mm. Considering the amount of deaths and uh, the themes of the, the movie as a whole, especially when you think of a cult and the conspiracy side of it, I think it's the, the things like that where his wife killed herself because she didn't get village of the year, you know? <laughs> If, I think if you was to analyse and strip the comedy away from this film, you could have a very, very dark film. Uh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate because there is one trope that they exploit here that goes uh, that goes unnoticed. And it's, an, it's a cardinal rule in fiction, but it's very, very rarely utilised. I can't even do it when I try and write scripts, right? You always put the stronger argument in the hands of your antagonist, right? Why? Because the hero needs to question himself. They need to be tempted by the villain's perspective. It makes them doubt themselves, right? And it pushes the plot to, you know, the ultimate point it needs to go, uh, which is self-discovery, realising, you know, what you need to realise. And with this new wisdom, you kind of, like, defeat the evil. So if your villain's motivations are weak or just plain evil, there's nothing really for your protagonist to consider. So Frank says it to Angel, this is the best village. Look around. People are happy. He's not right. There's no justification for murder, but it gives you pause. Like, in Top Gun, right? I- Iceman has the stronger argument. Maverick is reckless. He's arrogant, and his actions put others in danger. But yeah. we're still committed to Maverick as the protagonist. But it gives him time to reflect and think and decide what to do next. It pushes him to act. And I think that's really... It's, it's really well done here. I think, you know, when, when Frank says, you know, there's no crime here, no crimes are being committed, 
how low must the home and car insurance be? <laughs> exactly. Council exactly. tax must be a really sweet deal. Like absolutely. Um, so they, what I mean is that they do in a in a satirical way, exploit this very hard to do trait of uh, putting an argument in the hands of the of the antagonist that is yeah. that is kind of like, you know, you, no one's going to side with Frank, but you know, if the hero starts to question himself, the audience think, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly that. In a way, like you said, it's. It's not necessarily the case that these are these aren't the kind of like empirical villains with incredibly deep or almost almost kind of societal burdens that they need to make the hero aware of mm. like we think of but more just no 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 we're just going to keep society better for the greater good the, the greater, greater good, good. <laughs> the greater good and it's just like yeah but you're 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 murdering people for for, for, for minor stuff and not even like in a light way you're dropping freaking church buildings on people just because they can't spell (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time here's why it works here's why it works also as well because what is more crazy and more scary than a villain who is just like no I'm correct Mm. my crazy is correct yeah do you know what I mean in a weird way they've made it funny but scary as hell it's really it's really well done Uh, I can't remember when it was but ages ago I was listening to uh, Adam Buxton's podcast and he was uh, interviewing Edgar Wright and Wright said something so profound I I was thinking about it for ages Um, he said that the generational divide in Hot Fuzz as in this golden age of our grandparents like these favourite actors are the villains in this film right versus the new age the the more hipper cast he said that Hot Fuzz scarily echoes the future of post-Brexit Britain yeah it's so true. These oldies yeah. are so stuck in their ways. Yeah. They just want all the outsiders to be gone. Yeah. All undesirables. Anyone yeah. different from their rustic aesthetic. Yeah. And yeah. this is a sort of town Theresa May is from. You know, the, yeah. the lovely lady who masterminded Windrush. Yeah, but these guys, they want things how they always were, not how they are now. And worst of all, they like you just said it, Anton, they think they're right. They think they're right. Absolutely. There's, there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. So the next day, Angel arms himself with the confiscated guns. He and Danny engage in a shootout with the NWA. <laughs> I'm sorry, just, it's brilliant. Did you enjoy That's, that? <laughs> he and Danny engage in a shootout with the NWA. <laughs> when Frank brings out and orders the other officers to arrest them, Angel and Danny convince them that Frank is the culprit. Frank flees, and the officers besiege the supermarket, with Skinner fleeing in a car with Frank. After the car chase, Angel corners Skinner in Sanford's model village, and Skinner is impaled through the jaw by a miniature church steeple. Frank, after being held, after ho- briefly holding Danny hostage, attempts to escape in Angel's car, but is attacked by a missing swan that Angel and Danny had recaptured earlier. Oh, it's, it's um for me, like I said, I remember when I watched it, and I was just because I get, I remember, I think your my rea- I remember, obviously remember my reaction to it, and I was just like, what the fuck? is going on like wh- what is happening and you were just like yeah <laughs> what's an evolution of a film it's brilliant how it's it's, it's just it's great it's, man. It, it's it, so good it's it's uh the good the bad and the ugly and he rides in on the fucking white horse oh, it's man. uh obviously we've already mentioned the bad boys too the shit Dirty just got Harry, real everything point the point break so where he shoots break shoots up in the air and then the, the, absolutely the, I know. I'm glad that he put those scenes in 
the the two scenes I truly loved is obviously the bad boys one with the helicopter. Yeah. I think that's ahead a little bit, but the point break bit as well. And I love that they didn't change it. Yeah, I know. It, no, exactly it fitted. that. It was like even the bad boys as well. That you know the spinning cameras. They like they the, the realization is they kind of like take their glasses off or put. I think they put it on and the camera's spinning yeah. around to get in front of them. It's like Jesus. They've even done that. That's brilliant. I love the John Woo homage. Yeah, with the guns, fl you know, flying through the air. Te uh, okay, so I made a note about this, and I, and Danny says he starts asking him a whole bunch of questions. Have you ever have you ever have you ever flown through the air and shot a gun? Have you ever flown through the air and shot two guns? Again, this is the sense of foreboding. Have you ever... He keeps asking this stuff. Have you ever? Have you ever? And then what do they do? At the end of the scene, they do every freaking thing. Mm. <laughs> in yep. the film. Good. Brilliant. Uh, and the model village. Is that, um, is that a Godzilla reference? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Is the rain significant? I, uh, you know, the, I, I couldn't work that it, bit out. It reminded me a little bit of Lethal Weapon because there's a scene where he fights a guy in the rain in the water kind of yeah 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 like yeah it. but i talked myself out of it because i was like but there's no model village they they i think they fight in like his front lawn yes at the end of yeah, the first yeah, one yeah, yeah that's true yeah, yeah. and he breaks his neck with the with well, the head scissors yeah yeah it, it was just like it was just the rain on it that made me think it was sort of yeah, like probably lethal weapon. lethal weapon is the backbone of this film right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i mean definitely. in term in terms of like you know the buddy cop element um, I'm kind of glad they didn't go Die Hard because I think Die Hard's very easy to do and kind of overdone. So um... Angel is kind of a composite character of he, he's kind of Murtar, he's kind of John McClane, he's just a bit of all of them. The priest with the two pistols on tracks that's t that's Taxi Driver 100. percent Yeah, absolutely. There's a line where uh, Danny says, "Forget it, Nick. It's Sanford. That's from Chinatown, which is of course my one of my favorite movies yeah, of all time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the bit where the guy, the head of the NWA comes back, that's a James Bond callback, isn't it? Where the, there's always a villain that comes back in the last comes scene. Back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the classic, obviously, jumping from the bullet is just a classic action, saving your partner trope. Yeah. The, this, is, this is where, you know, we could list off all the setups that they pay off in this film. Probably the best being Aaron A. Aronson. Aronson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but the kid says the his kid, name is yeah, Aaron that's, that's, Aronson. That's Aaron. He's like... Who are you? I'm Aaron A. Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> Played by, funny enough, his name actually begins with an A as well, actually. Alexander King. Is, did he do anything after this? Uh, let's have a look. I actually had a look. I remember looking up. He was in... No. <laughs> 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 he was in Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz, Hot Funk, the TV version. Right. Um, and Doc Martin. Aaron A. Aaron Aaron's. A. Aronson. Oh, my God. That fucking line kills me. That, oh, I was God. like, you know when you realise... <laughs> We don't give the Andes enough credit for how funny this film is. Oh, mate, they, they have so many names for Nicholas. Nicholas. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know the bit where they're standing outside the, Smith, the, the building that's been blown to smithereens, um, Merchant's, George Merchant's house? Yeah. When one of the Andes uh, leaves the shot and then he goes back into the shot, I, uh, yes, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that was ad libbed. That was so yeah, funny. Yeah. And it, it goes back in and then leaves again. Yeah. <laughs> the Point Break stuff. Um, the, the the fact that throughout the whole film they always close up on one school child in at a time to the shop, and of course that's the undoing of the shop. Of the, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> the vocab guidelines. Suddenly Danny knows them, and suddenly Angel doesn't care about them. 
even Joyce, she calls him a fascist. He calls her a hag. Hag, yeah. <laughs> the confiscated guns come back into play. They've still got their fucking tags on them. Their, yeah. their evidence tags, which I thought was brilliant. It's so, obvi- it's so obvious because that entire... You just knew that as soon as you saw those guns, it's like, that's just for later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, I didn't care. It was so good. Finding a bomb. So this is Chekhov's bomb instead of Chekhov's gun. Yeah, absolutely. You find a bomb in Act 1, explode it in Act 3. <laughs> Amazing. Um, no way. He keeps talking about how you can't, you can't do all this carnage without incurring paperwork. And then you see them doing all the paperwork. All paperwork, absolutely. This film is a fucking love letter to action films, especially buddy cut ones. But it's also a fucking epic story in its own right. And, and still manages to capture England incredibly well. Rural England, for that matter, in a setting that is meant that you'd think would juxtapose it, but doesn't. Works perfectly. And literally is chock full of English acting royalty. I only had one problem with this film. Go ahead. So the only problem I had with the entire thing, and I'm not calling the bollocks on it, or at least I don't think I am, the Danny reveal that he's been in on the conspiracy. It, it is meant to be a satire of twists, I get that, you know, that don't make sense. But this one is just so odd because you couldn't have kept a poker face like Danny did um, without being some kind of evil mastermind. When he ran off crying because Angel shouted at him from, you know, or when he selflessly ignored his own birthday to work on cracking the case, he says he thought it was just a a club where they wrap people on their knuckles and send them on their way. How the fuck did you come to that conclusion? You saw the dead bodies. You saw you saw Eve Draper. You saw Martin Blower. and, And even if you did think these murders had nothing to do with your dad's little club, what crossed your mind when they asked you to stab your partner in the heart? Is that rapping on the knuckles? They actually foreboding to that as well. He shows the he shows him the whole stabbing in the eye trick. Yeah. And then stabs him again. So you think, okay, yeah, that's definitely gonna that's part of that. They set it up previously. But you don't think Danny has the ability I, to to act so oblivious for the whole film. I think I think he probably is oblivious, but then they do tell him obviously when they're like, Okay, no, we're gonna be killing Angel and we need your help with it. Then he obviously might. Well, then he obviously will have known. But again, I I can't remember particularly remember the conversation between him and Angel when he drives them out. But it's like I thought. Yes, yeah, like you said, I thought they were just wrapping people on knuckles. But at that point, does he know what? Does he still generally think they're still wrapping people on knuckles? I highly doubt that by that point. Mm. At least he, should, he definitely shouldn't by that point. But yeah, I was with you on that. Danny being involved with it was kind of like yeah, yeah. It would be better to just left him, leave him oblivious like the rest of the piece. Yeah. This plot only works... You know, I've, I think I've spoke about this before. You know the the, the idiot plot? Of course. Uh, the, the film goes so deep into satire, it even makes fun of idiot plots by having an idiot plot. Yeah. So this NWA, let's face it, they're not masterminds. They're just fucking farmers, retailers, land, pub landlords, people who run hotels... And over time, they've decided the only way to have a perfect village is to murder Eddie and all threat to tranquility, even just the petty nuisances, right? The, the only reason they've gotten away with it is because the police of Sanford are incompetent. Yeah, and ignorant. Yeah. ignorant. Like, Angel is competent. He could exist in our world. He's functional. And, yeah. and even Danny is competent because he listens and he learns uh, and he works hard. But the others in the station are just caught up in this infant, infantilized they're state. Just, they're just stupid as hell. And um, you think, you know, maybe that's what they 
they were going for by recruiting police officers who were simple so they could keep on doing what they were doing. But then why not just hire all of your murderous cult follower friends and fill the force with people that share your agenda? Because maybe then it probably likely be too obvious. Sorry, the service. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So yeah, this leads to um, the, you know, the climactic shootout. And um, it starts at the farm, which is just a brilliant setup that's paid off where, as you know, he says in the pub, everyone and their mums is packing round here. Oh, that was so... It's like, it like wasn't, who? It, it wasn't that you said it, and it was just like, absolute, I love the foreshadowing in this film. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievably well done. And, and that, that, that old lady looks so pissed off. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the fact that when he, when he does the flying kick, they're just like, no, 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 no. We definitely kicked her. Like, they show the foot, connect with the nose. It's freaking brilliant. How this film didn't get... Uh, I don't even think it got on 15, did it? I, think it was like I don't a, even... That's a good point. What was, what was the rating? Well, they dropped the word cunt a few times, so I think it, it must have been at 15. I don't know, actually. Anyway. See, that, that might be my favourite scene, by the way. Well, Drop kicking, kicking the old lady, the lady in the uh, face. That's just definitely Ian's tears. sense of humour. I was crying. Angel rides into town on his horse. The, the, the shootout in the town square, it, it's so good. They use a, a hand crank camera. I mean, talking like proper old school. It enhances the celluloid in the, in the camera. So it would, yeah. cause, it would cause discrepancies in the frame rate. It could give you faster or slower motion. Uh, it changes the exposure. And, and that is exactly what's happening in the scene. It's really cool. It's really, really well done. It's, so, it's, it's, a, it's classically shot. That's the good thing about it as well. And even like the positioning of the of the, the townspeople who were shooting back at him as well. It's brilliant. How yeah. he doesn't get shot, obviously, but I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. <laughs> I, I want to know, Angel is meant to be an expert in firearm use. How many times does he point his gun at Danny? I counted five. <laughs> <laughs> I it's, the adrenaline. It's, the, it's the adrenaline. It's the biggest the... no-no in firearms <laughs> training. He's also absolutely fine bringing a gang of 11 kids into a town <laughs> where he knows so the gunfight is going to kick off. It's so true. Yeah, but it's another payoff to a setup where it's like no yeah. more than one school child in the shop at a time for reasons such as this. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's exactly what brought it down in the end. Yeah, and Mr. Treacher, is it, when he, earlier in the day, or earlier in the film, sorry, he says, why is he wearing that long coat? It's not hot. Oh, sorry, it's not cold out. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he's like, maybe he's hiding something. He's like, nah, it's nothing. Well, it is. He's hiding shotgun under his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got something that, I, you know, you know that I'm a self-confessed uh, bibliophile, and I was really offended by the amount of books that took a pasting. <laughs> 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 they destroyed those books. Absolutely loads. It I don't was, understand. It was, yeah. was it the Village of the Year competition or was it a book sale? <laughs> <laughs> well, every good village has books, you know. Do, that. You, do you think the village handpicked the books on sale? Like they're not really for sale; they're just out on on display for Village of the Year, rather than just sort of random. You know, you normally end up with like those eighty fantasy sci-fi books, um, some like sixties romantic novels. I wonder if they're like top quality books that they left, like not destroyed in real life. But so there won't be any Harry Potter there or anything. <laughs> maybe, maybe original others. There'll probably be the original Westworld novel, definitely. <laughs> A bunch of uh, Pan books, the uh, that publisher. There'll be, oh, there'll definitely be James Bond books. You know that. 
Ruth Rendell, Clive Cussler, Andy McNabb, Colin Dexter. Because that's the type of thing that would definitely fit in there. I would imagine some Bill Bryson. Mm. 1984. 1984 will 100% be there. Animal Farm will be there. Animal Farm, absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, other shit books like Secrets of the Countryside and How to Raise the Best Llama. (laughs) (laughs) When when Frank confronts them in the pub, because they get into the pub, Frank, uh, when he shoots the chandelier and he does that lion's roar. Yeah, yes, well aware of that. That so what that was that mimicked something you know cause it was more the the you know the the sparks that came down from it which blatantly obviously wouldn't have kind of happened that way but it made it made it look like something else I'm just try, I can't remember what film that was but it definitely mimicked a, a particular film the roar reminded me of the MGM intro <laughs> pretty much but uh, yeah I just so there was just like I said there were some moments where I was thinking did they they must have. That must be yeah. a homage to something. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I couldn't figure it out. 100% was. Um, okay, so they've shot up the town square. They've shot up the pub. So far, what has been the most brutal takedown, apart from the kick to the face, Ian? Uh, the bear trap to the head. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> that <was such. laughs> That's it, isn't it? Oh, that yeah. Was, yeah. That was brutal. 100%. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's the bear trap. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's going to take a yeah. while. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. They make it to the supermarket, Summerfield, and... Um, Do you hear what they was doing in the supermarket? It's like, cast, like not, not in character. Like what? Like, a, some of, a lot of it was props, but some of that supermarket was real supermarket. Mm. And they're just like, it was great film there. Like, we was just smashing chocolate bars. <laughs> like, we were trying to get away with the alcohol and stuff like that. Someone grew up... Someone grassed on him. It's like, he's like, can you believe we got grassed on? It's like, I can't believe you're stealing from an actual supermarket. It's like, you've gone there. So, yeah, it's... Uh, standard. There's got to be some mischief every now and then while you're filming, absolutely. I want to know like how much they paid for that deli counter they smashed in, which uh, for, at one point, for one minute, it's got bulletproof glass because they're shooting the shit out of it and it's not smashing. And then they are able to somehow um, ram a trolley right into yeah, it and it smashes no problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just, yeah. I just didn't, I did not understand that scene in the slightest. Yeah. That hurt to watch. I, uh, I, I imagine on a storyboard, it looked great. I'm <laughs> sure when they were planning, they was like, that's going to be brilliant. And then when they actually filmed it, they're like, "That is just trash, and we have nothing else." Mm. So. It's just—it's just, it's just the type of—it's like the type of—you know—the type of scene where they were getting it together, and they probably thought, oh, "That's brilliant." At the end of it, we can go. Mm. They were trolleyed. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or something like that. And then they did it, and it was just like, you know, they—they—they—they they, they, they were actual trolleys. Mm. <laughs> like, do, you, do you know how hard it is to push trolleys linked side by side and have the wheels? <laughs> wheel Here we go. And like, uh, and a like line. get stuck. <laughs> It really is. They're not oh, there's like, like they they catch on each other and it start dragging <laughs> and the whole thing is spin. Like good job. I'm, I I presume they actually pushed the trolleys in a straight line. But Ian, I heard you were consultant on this film for pushing trolleys. <laughs> Absolutely not. That was uh, no way to push a trolley. Dear uh, dear listeners, <laughs> um, Ian would would like you all to know that for over ten years of his life, he was Asda Collendale's senior trolley pusher. And yeah, he, he can now, true. to this day, he can get his fingers caught in a trolley and not even feel it. There isn't anything. 
<laughs> all of this is true. I can open a trolley with my bare hands. <laughs> One time he just looked at it and it popped open. <laughs> there isn't anything that you could think of to do to a trolley that I haven't done. I, I believe so. that. Wow. Why do you that think he no longer works there? So much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> can you um? Can you explain your cupboard just one more time? <laughs> just, just one more. I mean, you're not going to work it out there again. <laughs> I was going to say, he's going to publicly put it out there now. People are going to know <laughs> about say. this. That shrine is probably still there right now. <laughs> the, uh, the, I think this, my cupboard will always be my cupboard. Is, is what I'm surely saying. the statute of limitations has run out by now. Maybe. It's just... Okay, I, th- e- I, think, I think you could do a podcast on my cupboard. I I, a lot I've already say. written it. Uh, Ian had a cupboard in asda he used to, when he used to work like 12 hour shifts <laughs> he used to work they never understood how he could work triple shifts and never sleep well he um he found a cupboard that no one had ever been in and he found the only key for that cupboard i don't know how you made it livable but you built yourself for like a chair and yeah. there was a you somehow rewired the old uh, electricity port so that you could charge your phone and yeah. a little magazine rack and he would sleep in this in this cupboard for like three hours of his shift tell everyone he was going over to the warehouse and just sleep and i remember <laughs> i remember multiple times i'd call him i remember the first time i called him not knowing he was at work and i was like i picked he picked up the phone he's like hello <laughs> i was like oh sorry mate are you uh you, are you at home i was just wondering if i could pop around he's like no i'm at work, no, work. <laughs> <laughs> i was like what was really- <laughs> he's like i'm in my cupboard <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely uh, brilliant. L- not many people know that, that that supermarket bags come vacuum packed and they're rock solid. If you just crack a little hole in that vacuum pack, those bags will inflate like a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> that is you get, brilliant. You get six or seven of those together, you got yourself like a little lounge. So I I don't even I can't <laughs> Um, <laughs> should, should do my mini series tales on my cupboard. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> he came out the closet. <laughs> oh, um, One day I'll tell you all about the trolley Olympics that we used to do. It, yeah, it was it was a porterly event. You have to be a oh, porter only, <laughs> and it would be who could pull off the the biggest. You know, trolley skills. It was skill shots, control, strength tests. In See fact, what I mean? Where like this is a fucking rabbit hole. I could honestly <laughs> talk about this for about an hour. In we the, are going deep, uh, deep into the, tro- get back. into the trolley hole. Got one small bullshit card. Oh shit! Okay, go on. I've seen the effects of forty-six trolleys hitting a car, and I will promise you that twenty or thirty trolleys hitting a countertop in a supermarket ain't gonna do shit <laughs> bollocks <laughs> oh, I can't so, believe bollocks I can't believe you throwing a bollocks card out for that oh, I, I, I'm sorry I've got to agree with that one Un- I get it unresolved get childhood it. trauma of Ian <laughs> I've, I, I've allowed them to drop a stone like part off the top of a fucking church have it drop a hundred feet in wind didn't bat an eyelid. <laughs> Seeing them put 20 trolleys through a counter. No, no, sir. Absolute bollocks. <laughs> Another setup that pays off in this film, which is really important. They say to Angel in the beginning, 
Um, it's all about being a team player, Nicholas. She can't go off being the Sheriff of London, right? And it's 100% true, because how does he finally overcome the obstacles? He asks the team to help him. He says, I can't do this yeah, without you. Yeah, so true, exactly, yeah. I had this crazy idea for a, an alternative vision for the film. And I was thinking while we were in the cinema watching it, um, when Nicholas uh, is running away from the NWA after they, uh, they say, you know, you have to come with us, um, before he falls down into the, into, you know, the, the crypt, I thought that somehow the two Andes were going to intervene and reveal that they actually knew what was happening all along and they'd been trying to build a case to... That would have been brilliant. Which they were feigning the ignorance yeah. the entire time, yeah, yeah. And they were actually super detectives. Yeah, that was pretty good. It probably would have stolen from, from Angel. Oh my God, uh, it would have been a completely different film, but... Yeah, it literally <laughs> would have been. <laughs> literally turned into like the Matrix. An entire team just out there, whooping ass. Yeah, just because everything in this film is, is goes by the law that not, not everything is as it seems. Or nothing is as it seems. So I just wondered if that was somehow going to play into it. But of course I got it completely wrong. Um, Did you know those uh, two detectives kept getting mistaken as the 118118 guys during filming? <laughs> no. <laughs> when they would go for lunch and whatnot, people would get pictures of them. They were the 1118. That's brilliant. Wow. <laughs> Angel's former superiors arrive and ask him to return to London, as the crime rate has risen heavily in his absence, but Angel decides to remain in Sanford. While the Sanford police are going over the paperwork of the arrests, the elderly Tom Weaver, the last NWA member, bursts into the station wielding a blunderbuss. He shoots at Angel, but Danny jumps in front. In the resulting struggle, Weaver accidentally activates the sea mine, killing himself and destroying the station. One year later, Angel has been promoted to inspector and head of the Sanford police, and Danny is sergeant. After visiting Irene's grave, the two drive off in their next crime scene. The, I mean, the ending is perfect because at the beginning of the film, Angel is quite the opposite of who he is at the end. He's not in control of his destiny. Quite literally, he's being transferred away from London. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to do it. Uh, by the end of the film, he demonstrates that, or I'd say the, the film's ending demonstrates his destiny is now his. He has chosen to remain in Sanford. Because he's found exactly what he needed, what he deserved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that completely bookends the hero's journey. The Avengers Initiative. Name someone, name the one person in this film that could be an Avenger. And I'm sorry, but let's not say Nicholas Angel. Yeah, because obviously that's... He, he would run the Avengers, let's face it. I'd like to, I'd like to nominate the, the group of young, uh, young hoodies who basically graffitied and then ran into the shop knowing full well that Mama was packing and were like, fuck this, we're going to take her out. <laughs> Young <laughs> Avengers, boom. Mate, the fucking swan, straight up. <laughs> <laughs> Harold the duck, eat your heart out. You've got competition. It's Doris. <laughs> because, because, because of the double entendres, she's got the best catchphrases. <laughs> wow. She goes, there's nothing like a bit of girl on girl. Yes. <laughs> She's like, I'm, I'm quite partial to the midnight gobble. <laughs> because I, I've been around the station a few times. And what did she say when he, the, the cactus thief? Oh, he was a prickly oh, customer. Oh, no, no, that's a real, real prickly one. <laughs> and, and of course, Ian's favourite. She goes, I've had my top off in this lay-by. Tits. <laughs> 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 
Oh, freaking hell. Carl Jackson's that the character he plays. Freaking hell. That, that. And like you said, it's funny. I'm great you mentioned, I'm really happy you mentioned that, Ian, because you do. I noticed that as well. Like, he literally just refortified all the whatever crap he said or whatever crap someone else said as well. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Mm. I even like how at the beginning of the film, you literally cannot make out a word of what he's saying. But then by the end of it, you almost feel like you can do it as well. Like you're almost oh, kind of wow. growing with Sanford. Do you know what I mean? A, that's a really good point. Have you noticed that? that? Because amazing. at the, at the first, at the very first time, literally it's bollocks. Like it's genuinely bollocks. Because I actually went back and thought, <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to it. It's genuine bullshit. When he's having a conversation with um, the, I was going to say the Lord Commander. What's the, the, <laughs> the, uh, Ward of Frey, sorry. <laughs> With Ward of Frey, I was his Lord Commander. With Ward of Frey. Ward of Frey chats absolute bollocks. Yeah. He talks a little bit better, so you can kind of get it, and then Danny gives the translation. By the end, you are literally with Angel because he says something, and it, you're like almost to the point where when Angel says, no, I get it. I, that's literally what I was thinking. I was thinking, no, no, I understood that. Do you mean like you feel like you're growing with Sanford, like oh, the understanding man. of it. That's such a good observation. It's brilliant. It's so good. I never th- even thought of that, but it's true. No, like you, you start to recognize what you're saying more Absolutely. and more. Absolutely. Absolutely. You like you're becoming part of Sanford yourself. Like you're on Angel's journey with it. Man, that's observation of the of the podcast. I think. That's oh, great. I enjoyed it. I really. It's good. It's such a good film. It is. Any any other thoughts? Any other feelings? Any other concerns? Queries? Uh, it was good. Thank you. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) And we'll see you all next week. (laughs) On that bombshell. No Wilfred Award this week. Because I I really don't think there was a scene that had a, you know, that didn't grasp the concept of time. Mm. And you can't give any of, you can't give any Bruckheimer's for this film because it's ripping the shit out of Bruckheimer. Bruckheimer, exactly. He's exactly that. But uh, Ian, you did throw a bollocks card. So um, let's give our scores uh, out of 10. Uh, can I go first? Go ahead. Nine. But I wanted to say that like, I'm more interested in seeing the continuing um, adventures of Angel and Danny than I am of Riggs and Murtaugh or Lee and Carter or Lowry and Marcus. Like these characters, and kind of like any body cop comedy, there is a there's an undertone, isn't there? I mean, it's kind of homoerotic. It's straight men. <laughs> it's straight men with romantic sentiment. Two mm-hmm. two lost souls. They find each other. They find they have things in common, and they find that they complete each other. And Danny and Angel are right up there with the rest of them. You come away wanting to see more of of what happens to them next. Yeah. Um, this film has been on my top ten film list for. Um, yeah, nearly, nearly sixteen years. It has, it has. So I'm, sure. I'm keeping it at nine. Yeah, that makes sense. And no, I was, yeah, I was just thinking. No, I, I was literally, I knew, I knew you. I was literally just thinking myself. I'm gonna go with a nine as well. Uh-huh. I think I'm, I'm gonna go a, a little bit lower. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm just trying to think if there's anything could have, could have made it better. But actually. Mm. I think I think I'm gonna go for like a solid eight on this one. Okay. But, yeah, actually um, thinking about it, I'm trying to think now. As good as the film is, the epicness I, of it. I mm. truly loved watching it. I love watching it again. I don't think I've watched it probably in nearly seven or eight years. 
Olympics. Really? So yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, eight point five. I'll go eight point five. I'll go eight point five. I don't then. think it's yeah. I don't think it's. Fuck it! I'm going ten. <laughs> I'm making up. I'm taking that. I'm taking that half point back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Anton. Fuck you here. <laughs> Fuck you. <Ian. laughs> oh, brilliant. I mean, Dion is going to be an issue. The I took four point five. Dion is going to be an issue. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, oh my, this guy. <laughs> you dickhead. <laughs> We've come to the end of the podcast and we have to decide what movie we're going to do next week and we have a ritual to um, to decide it, as you know. We've pulled together sound bites from 40 of our, well, previously favourite movies. I don't know if they're still our favourite movies. We will find out. We've converted them into MP3 files and I asked Lauren, my wife, by now you should know, to rename each file a number from originally 1 to 40 uh, and now... It's it's less. It's you know in the thirties. So I nor Ian or Anton have any idea which film is which because they are all filed um, under the guise of a number. I will ask for one of you to pick a number. We will then play the clip relating to that number, and it will be revealed to us which our next film is going to be. So I think this week it should be Anton. Tell us which number you would like. Do you know? What? Let's go for number one. I was going to say, not to influence you in any way, but we hardly ever do lower than, like, 20s. Yeah. So, good, good <laughs> one, number one is actually a number two, and we really hate this film. Then you now put a lot of pressure on number one. <laughs> Anton, did you understand what that meant at all? Number, it would have been like, fuck it. But... I, I, I thought he was talking about having a shit, but fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Look, blame Lauren. <laughs> no, no, no one picks the number one and is happy when it's actually number two. <laughs> Let's just pray that this is a good film. <laughs> Look, if, if you're unhappy with the selection, you blame Lauren because she knows it enough to know which films are good and which are bad, at least in our eyes. True, true. So let's true. find out what is behind door number one. No! <laughs> fuck! The, fu- the fuck is that? <laughs> Anton knows. Is that... Is, let's play it again. Is that... Is that, uh, let's play uh, is it again. That, is that... Is that... Uh, that's, that's, that sounds like a Sunday mass. If you ask me, Anthony, right? <laughs> you know? I don't know. Is it? Hold on. I thought that, I thought that, that was one of, our, one of our church recordings. Do you know what I mean? I... Dude, you can't. You, you, I've got, you, I've you got know it. Marlon I've got Brando it. Nuns on the run. <laughs> Nuns on the run. Boom. <laughs> Son becomes the father. It's got to be. That's. That's. That, explaining the Holy Trinity is that God is like a shamrock. <laughs> He's like shamrock. Three in one. <laughs> it's small green and splits three ways. Three ways. <laughs> No, okay, seriously, I did, I did recognise it, which is why I'm taking the piss. Ian, do you recognise it before Anthony? Oh, no, no fucking clue. Where oh. is it? Go on. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, Superman Returns with yeah. a vengeance. Jor-El, why have you <laughs> forsaken me? I, so number one is a number two. Oh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> so number one is a number two. I know. Boom! I don't 
think I've watched that film since I left the fucking cinema. Well, oh, you're gonna, because next week it's a movie that we hope that we would never have to relive. And uh, I really hope it surprises us um, and can be... Can you even watch it? Well... Is it still out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't recall all of them. Um, <laughs> so next week we return... to find a bargain bucket, a bargain bin <laughs> full of DVDs. Bargain bucket. Ian's thinking of KFC next after we finish recording. Look. Um, well you heard it here first folks next week we return and so does Superman with Superman Returns fuck I quit let's just hope that it surprises us wrong (laughs) (laughs) Ian doesn't even remember where that's from do you even remember what scene that's from no Anyway, um, I gotta get oh, out wait, of here. No, no. Oh, oh, fuck. Go on. Oh, it's close. No, I don't remember. What? <laughs> yeah, don't Great podcasting. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> the professionalism. Wait, what? What? what did you ask? Did you ask me a question? I didn't ask you a question. You, you, you anchored. Towards you. Volunteer information. Yeah, and then said, "Actually, I don't know what I. I didn't have anything to say." You said you don't know where that's from, the quote, and I was trying to work out what the quote was. Well, that was like ten minutes ago. Have you been in your yeah, head that whole time? It's been ticking over. <laughs> it's just like literally. Yeah, been... I've literally been like, <laughs> "What film?" I want to say it's a Batman film, but is that right? Unfortunately, it's um, so right. this is how this is how bad the film is. We've literally spoken oh, about yeah. the film. <laughs> Said a quote from the film, and Ian's still like, "Surely it's a Batman film." <laughs> As soon as that film goes on, I'm like the girl from the ring. (laughs) (laughs) My jaw just hits the ground. I'm out. (laughs) It's about that time where we got to make like Simon and peg it. So leaves me to thank my co-hosts, Anton. The great good. And Ian. The greater good. The greater good. The greater good. Well, as you can tell, we don't want to leave you, but we have to, I'm afraid. So, remember, folks, your futures haven't been written yet. No one's has. Your next picture is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. (laughs) 